Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss X-Factor number 36, the January 1989 issue on sale September 27th of 1988. And uh, cover price of a dollar, this one's titled Transformations, y'all. Yeah, it's part of the Inferno saga. And Adam, can you say Inferno, but say it like snow? What was his name? Twelve Inches of Snow? Twelve Inches of Snow? Yeah. Was he saying Inferno that whole time? In my mind, he was. was. I thought he was saying Informer. That's probably what the radio stations want you to think, but he he was singing about Inferno. Remember when it was 12 inches of snow versus nine inch nails? I don't remember that. Was that a thing? No. Oh. (laughs) But it should have been. I think the nine inch nails won. (laughs) Well, they're still around, I suppose. (laughs) That's my point. Well, snow is probably still around, too. But is he making music? Maybe. He could be. He might be in some nightclub like, remember me, former? Vanilla Ice is still making music, and I believe he's very wealthy. Yeah, and he had his own reality TV show where he fixed up houses, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So if this whole podcasting thing doesn't work out for you, Adam, you can always get a reality TV show fixing up houses. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep, so here we go. Inferno uh, X Factor number 36 on the cover. You've got um, four members of X Factor fighting demons. And... uh... Yep. <laughs> and I can't argue with that. <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. It's a uh, Walt Simonson like every now and then you're like this is awesome Walt Simonson art and then then you get an issue like this where it's like gosh, I feel like he really rushed this one. It's just it's, yeah, I mean yeah, I get that. I mean Bob Wiesek, he's a great inker, right? Certainly a competent inker. I just don't think he has much to work with. Although uh, I would also say that the inking, for the most part, is not phenomenal in this issue. And I want to say it's just Walt Simonson's style, but I think when he inks himself, it's better. Maybe that's maybe that's what the case is. But yeah, but anyways, uh, Louis Simonson is writing. Walt Simonson's penciling. Bob Weasek's inker. Joe Rosen's letter. Petra Scotzi is the colorist. Bob Harris is the editor, and Tom DeFalco is the editor in chief. And really, the opening panel is is pretty funny. It's a full-page spread, and it's a um, hot dog stand that Beast and Iceman are trying to take down, and it's chasing down a little boy who has a little stuffed tiger. And you you know it's it's, Calvin? It's totally (laughs) Calvin and Hobbes. Like They never actually say, that little boy's name was Calvin, and we saved him. But it is. It's an homage, if you will. I don't know, Jeremy. The shirt's the wrong color. Uh, I don't. What was Calvin's shirt color? I don't know. Wasn't it red and white? I don't recall. I bet you I it wasn't. I bet you it was this color. Because Hobbs well, maybe, is the right color. Maybe the colorist isn't on board with the whole Calvin and Hobbs thing. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what. Uh, what's the significance of this teddy tiger? I don't get it. Uh, but yes, the point here is that um, New York has gone bananas. Yeah, as we already knew. And uh, Trish Tilby, she's on the scene. She's trying to get footage. She's covering the story. Uh, and she's wondering if her cameraman's getting any of this footage. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> I can't vouch for what's going to show up on the tape. It's crazy. 
The yeah. fire hydrant starts spraying them, and Iron Man's like, ah, oh, the fire fire hydrant wants a piece of the action, too. Well, finally, I can freeze something, and it won't escape. Yeah. That's what I that's what I take out of this. The major crux of this issue, there's two major, yeah, maybe three major things. The first one's introduced here, which is uh, Trish is like, ooh la la, I like this beast. But beast is all like, but I'm Hank. Why don't you like Hank? And she's like, I don't know. You kind of freak me out. Yeah, you're blue. You're furry. You got fangs. You got claws. So take a minute to get used to. Feel like Beast takes this really personally without like any any amount of understanding. Of like, you know, I am a little bit different than I was like uh, a week ago. Yeah. This whole thing feels unearned and shoveled into this comic. It does. The other... A uh, big part of this comic is a subway train turns into a, I don't know, giant subway person eating worm that jumps up through the ground and swallows Trish Tilby and the cameraman and dives back underground. And we spend the majority of the issue fighting this train. Now, there was a like they really like these subway things because wasn't there also a subway in X Terminators? And I feel like there was also a mm. subway problem in Power Pack. Also, all of those are written by Louise Simonson. So Louise Simonson is really into the subway as a demon motif. I would say she probably has a fear of subways. And this is her way of dealing with and coping with that fear. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, at the uh, at the F, well, I guess we haven't mentioned it yet, but the graveyard that Nastir was... At, with the exterminators and whatnot, and they're kind of recounting what, what's been happening, catching everybody up. They need the babies. Uh, the Goblin Queen needs the special baby. And the uh, Empire State Building is growing. We actually get a it's, – it's a, it's a more in-depth summary of what's going on than we've gotten so far. The, the special boy, the final piece that will drive his mother, the Goblin Queen, to madness. We, didn't, I, we haven't really been pointed that plot point out yet. Little Madeline, reveling in her dream-awakened powers, thinks she uses me. She will learn, though she is more potent than I had anticipated. That is all to the good. With that power fueled by her pent-up rage and frustration, she will blow the lid off Manhattan. It will work, as long as the father does not interfere. Even now, he tracks the child through the powers of the mutant Jean Grey. Yada, yada, yada. Too bad that for now, Jean Grey is of such a small use to me. So like the other, and yet... In her, the light far outshines the darkness. I will not be able to subvert uh, neither her nor Scott Summers, but that may not be true of them all. So, uh, yeah, we, we get caught up to the story thus far. If you're not reading the other issues of X-Men or Exterminators, you now kind of have an idea of what's going on. Well, I never really thought that the plan was to drive the Goblin Queen to madness, but, I mean, I guess that's one way of looking at Madeline turning into the Goblin Queen. I feel like I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of these writer meetings because they have to kind of draw up this plan and say, like, this summer we're doing Inferno. This is kind of what it's about, but everybody go write your stories. But you got to hit these few plot points. And I feel like in their own way, each one of these writers takes a little bit of a liberty, adds a little bit of their own spin to the story. Um, I think it makes sense, right? Because... I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but ultimately, this might happen. I almost feel like Chris Claremont thinks he's doing his own event, though. 
Oh, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that, I think there's Chris Claremont's event and everybody else's. <laughs> Which are kind of the same events, but also different events. <laughs> right. So maybe they maybe all the writers are on page. They're just uh, like sending Chris Claremont some Cliff's notes of like, here's what's going on. Could you tie in? Because it's like, eh, maybe. <laughs> Why don't you tie into me? <laughs> I'm the popular hot writer. <laughs> So who knows? So anyways, uh, yeah. So the one that uh, may not be true of them all is Angel, who uh, he fought Cameron Hodge. Cameron Hodge didn't die because Nastir protected him, but uh, Candy Southern did die. Has he just been sitting here since like issue 34 or whatever? Weeks. Just holding Candy's Candy's. Candy's body, and now he's like, so ends your life, my darling Candy. You were okay for a while, and I was just holding you. I could have brought you to the hospital. I could have tried feeding you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she she was alive, and then she died <laughs> after three days of uh, him kneeling there. Now it's been two weeks. She's all stiff, rigor mortis, <laughs> just smells horrible. Uh, and that's when Nastir shows up and, and offers uh, Angel a, a, I don't know, a deal or says, I was the one who promised Cameron Hodge that in facing you, he would not die. He doesn't really offer him anything. I'm not sure what the point is other than I don't, maybe to get him to show up. I'm not sure if he's trying to drive him mad or what, but Angel's like, yeah, and you gave me the courage to, or you gave him the courage to defy me, to slaughter his this woman whose only offense was to love me. So he's like, he's not, doesn't really even seem all that mad at Nastir. And I and yeah, and and I don't know what Nastir's purpose is. No, I mean I guess Inferno tie-in. Destroyed by these wings, those malevolent wings, dark or dark angel, you have your one soul, but your wings have another. Okay, thanks. <laughs> That's when he says maybe, but both are bent on your destruction, and he slashes his wings out and his little flechettes, if that's what comes out of his wings, hit Nastir, but Nastir's either a um hologram or in a bubble but he doesn't get hurt whatever yeah, i assumed here. i assumed it was this was not a real i thought it was like a busy screen or something <laughs> it's a spell crotus shows up and says monster come inside quick boy nearly finished transformation demons ready to enter manhattan and this deer says well now angel knows we're man we're in manhattan thanks a lot jerk <laughs> crotus you're bad and then again, maybe that was the whole point, to get Angel into Manhattan. Yes, uh, because Angel's like, you disengaged your spell too late, Nastir. I know where to find you. I have friends in Manhattan and responsibilities. I mean, definitely from a plot point, yes. I just don't know if that was Mystere's point. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't seem like it, but okay. It almost feels like the point is for Nastir just to taunt Angel, but... I, yeah, I think you're right, because he does say, it is a pleasure watching a man struggle to reconcile dual natures, knowing that in the end, the lower one will always triumph. So I guess he's there to gloat. I guess. All right. So, so Angel's like, all right, well, uh, before anybody else gets uh, harmed, uh, I'm going to see you utterly destroyed. Uh, and then we cut over to Gene uh, and Cyclops who are psychically chasing Nathan Summers. Well, it's still Christopher Summers in oh, the pages of X-Factor. Sorry. Nathan <laughs> in other pages or other comics. He's Nathan in X-Men. Yep, and Excalibur. And, and eventually, well, both written by Chris Claremont, 
And I think eventually uh, Louise Simonson gets on the Nathan train. <laughs> she gets the memo. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're chasing after him. Uh, Jean's being tortured by kind of all the demon presences uh, as she's uh, tracking the tracking the baby. Cyclops. We mentioned this last time, but her her telepathy is back, although she doesn't quite have control over it yet. I would say it's because, not fully back. I'd say like yeah, like an echo of her telepathy is back. Definitely, yeah, it's on its way. Yep, I mean maybe. There's no reason for it not to be on its way. There are no plot reasons why she shouldn't have telepathy now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. They're tracking the baby. Um. It's painful and to Jean. And she's also having some uh, questioning moments about Scott again. This is your fault. You're doing, you're, oh, you're doing, you married that woman. Why did you have to marry her? The baby, Christopher, he's yours and hers. Sweet little helpless baby crying, scared, have to save him. What's he doing in my head? Yeah. And I don't think this is Jean. I think this is just all the confusion of everything that's going on, causing her to erratically spout things off. Uh, she is surrounded by demons at certain points, but they I think they're uh, manifestations of her telepathy, which I guess is maybe Christopher is surrounded by demons is the idea. Oh, probably. Although it is kind of weird that she's demons clawing at me once wants to eat me. No, master wouldn't like that. No, get away. Are the, is she inside the demon's head? Who says master wouldn't like it? I don't know. I feel like she's just getting telepathic readings off of anything that's near Christopher. Okay. I, I can accept it. <laughs> and that's all that matters. Meanwhile. Now that, you, now that you say that, I totally accept it. I yeah. just, I needed some clarification. <laughs> so meanwhile, back in the subway, the, the subway worm is, is speeding down the track and everybody on the train is, is a little confused. They're not probably as weirded out as they should be. But this is where Beast takes an opportunity to use his jovial and eloquent nature to help calm down the train passengers by cracking jokes, cracking wise. So I can see Beast hanging on the outside of the subway, and I even buy that Beast could do that. I'm not sure I buy that Iceman could do that. Iceman has ice slides. So he's following? <laughs> yes. it's And it's constantly downhill at the correct angle for him to have the same speed as the train. Okay. <laughs> That's what's happening. And so, yes, Iceman and Beast both make it on the train. Everyone's like, what are you doing here? And they're like, we're superheroes. We're here to sign autographs. And Trish is like, what's going on? Mank is just so cocky. He's not handsome and gentle and special and vulnerable. There's a moment where Iceman says... Look, Trish, what happened between you and Hank? And she says, this is hardly seems the time. And <laughs> I agree. This is not the time. Well, maybe Iceman doesn't know that there's a love interest between the two of them. Well, I think he does. He said he says something later that oh. tips me off. And it's hard to imagine them having some sort of a love interest because he had like the intellect of a 12 year old. If, 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 if even less. Maybe she's into that. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so Gene and Scott are still flying in. They're, they're heading towards the Twin Towers. Uh, and that's when, you know, she keeps talking about how he's scared. And when he's scared, she's scared. And then all of a sudden she can't feel him anymore. He's just gone just as they reach the city. 
And that's when an airplane flies by them, and it's a demon airplane. And it grabs the cockpit with a claw. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. And they turn, they turn around and shoot it with a missile. Is it a missile or is it Scott's eye beams? Oh, I guess it's Scott eye beams. You're right. It has to oh, be. So he, he must have that like uh, some sort of a specialized glass that he can shoot through. Yeah, totally. Okay. So he it's like a ruby quartz modified glass. Yeah, cockpit or something. <laughs> So he, uh, it, so when you look at this panel, right, they fly around and they shoot at the engine and the engines have transformed into like big talons, which is kind of neat, but he shoots it and it looks like it erupts in blood, but I don't think that's the case. I think that's an eruption into Scott's blast. I think so, but I like to imagine that it just got like super bloody and like right now half the plane is just splathered with blood and all the passengers are like, oh my God, our plane is bleeding. Oh, what happens to these people? Well, it says like, uh, look back there. It was a jet. Not like anyone I've ever seen. I took out an, an I took out one engine, but it has another, so it should be able to limp. That's like, that's like GI Joe. Look, everybody's parachuting. They'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. You know. I recall watching the G.I. Joe show, TV show, as we all did, of course. And I believe that there was an episode in which one of the Joes was hit by a laser blast. Yeah. In the helmet. Did they die? No. Gosh, no. Of course not. <laughs> they were knocked out and they got up later like, oh, my head hurts. Well, that'll be a lesson to play with guns, kids. <laughs> he didn't say the last part, but he definitely got shot in the head, helmet rather, by a laser blast. And was stunned. Hmm. I don't know how that passed any sort of cartoon approving body. Well, he didn't die. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so they are flying. And as they turn back from the jet, they see that the Empire State Building is impossibly high and right in front of them. I think it's the Empire State Building or some obscene parody. Look at our altitude. No building on Earth could be so tall. So back in the subway, and they actually call it a subway worm here. It roars from its tunnel below the city hall, heading into the Manhattan Bridge uh, and over into Brooklyn. So the subway is outdoors now. And so this is where Beast uh, it springs into action. Is it tells everybody to brace themselves because they're going to stop the train. I don't know what Beast is going to do, but Iceman freezes the tires. Switch. Begs the question: Why didn't they do this before? Why, like, if they why why do they have to be outside in order to do this? Uh, because then they can be over a bridge, and as they stop, the train can dangle precariously off the side. Yeah, <laughs> which is exactly what happens. They fall off the rails. Half the train is hanging off the bridge, and then all the people are like, "You guys are terrible. You're probably in cahoots with it, you mutant monsters." And Trish says, oh, shut up and let them save your ungrateful lives. It'd serve you right if he let the train have you. And Beast says, "Ooh." He says, question mark, exclamation point. She likes me, I think, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so Beast pops up out. He keeps telling the jokes and he's thinking to himself, he's got to keep it light, downplay the danger. Uh, but this is a horrible situation, he realizes. But still, got to keep it upbeat. He pulls Trish out, uh, and she's like, ah, it's not the fur. I could get used to the fur. It's the chatter. 
all the mass or uh, like this is all some massive joke. We're all scared. And he's like, I don't get it. She practically nukes the guy who calls me a monster, but she can't stand to look at me. And then the train starts uh, hopping around and everybody falls off the bridge. And then because we can't have everybody fall off the bridge, uh, Iceman creates some ice slides onto a nearby boat, which I don't know if you look at where the it hits, it looks like they would just slide right off the boat. <laughs> well, it looks like they would just slide either feet first or face first into the roof of this cruise liner, which would certainly it, be death. It looks really steep. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So like they would either break their ankles, break their neck, and then be flopped into the water. He would have been better off to make an ice slide that went directly into the water. That's true. <laughs> uh, They'd but, be okay. <laughs> I mean, assuming they could swim. So they all dive onto the ice slide and presumably they all die. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a few people still up on the bridge. The subway worm is, is attacking, uh, but Beast springs into action. And, and the next two pages I find really kind of incomprehensible. I don't know. So Trish has got a plan. She, I don't know what her plan is. She climbs up on top of the bridge and she basically swings a rope over to Beast. Well, she, she doesn't, she swings a cable at towards Beast and it, I guess it's an electrical surge cable that hits the, the thing. And I don't know, this is just like the stupidest plan ever. I think it makes the, no sense. The point is, is that the third rail on a subway is electrified. So if they can touch this cable to the third rail and it can touch the train, they can electrocute the train. So how likely is that going to happen? I, it happens right in front of us, Adam. So 100%. So she, she, she climbs up, grabs a wire, snaps the wire so that it swings down and hits the third rail. Look, the important part is, is here. Is that what you're saying? That, well, it's exactly what I'm saying. But the important part here is that she realizes that, that what Beast is doing is that he's trying he's got a calming effect on people and that she she digs him still why did it take so long for me to realize same old hank better vocabulary but the same macho attitudes let me out there first gonna take on the world no no let me save you let me die she says while she's climbing up the side of a bridge i don't know if i would be thinking that while i was climbing up the side of a bridge i'd probably be thinking don't fall this is really dangerous i don't know okay. <laughs> so I'm being I'm being extra nitpicky. I, get I don't you. like this sequence. It totally works though. I mean, the train gets electrocuted, so I think you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't find it very logical or believable. I, I don't care anything about this sequence, to be quite <laughs> honest. Uh, we we return our attention back to Gene and Cyclops, who are in. Uh, the plane, they're flying over Manhattan, like, wow, what's going on here? Uh, can't find Christopher, a lot of weird energy, and then they see a pentagram. They, uh, they get the, is it a pentagram or just a star? Well, a pentagram's got five points, this thing's got five points, so I'm going with pentagram. Well, those... doesn't the pentagram have to be facing a particular direction or something like that? Oh, I, I don't know. know. That sounds like a sigil or something. I have no idea. Uh, but that being said, Jean calls it a star. She says, look! A star. <laughs> I don't detect that there are any babies up there, though. <laughs> and then there's lightning. The airplane's been hit. They're going down. They eject. And a demon helicopter eats their airplane. But Scott set the airplane on auto-destruct, so <gasps> to, presumably it blows up. 
I set the auto destruct to explode over the Atlantic. I feel like this is where uh, the final Batman movie got its plot point from. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, this very issue right here. I think so. Okay, good. So they are descending down into Manhattan when they see all of the demons pouring out of the sky, uh, as we saw in New Mutants and Exterminators. A circle of light north of us over Times Square coming from the circle right at us. What are they? Oh, my Lord. And everybody, let's see, we, we return our attention to Iceman and Beast. They're on the SS Circle Line. They also see the disc open over Manhattan. So they, oh, and they also see Cyclops's optic beam. So they're like, oh, Gene must be with him. Let's go. Not sure why Cyclops is blasting at the circle. Or maybe he's blasting at a demon, I guess. Probably just a random demon. Wouldn't, shouldn't he be blasting at a much closer demon? You would think so. Oh, well. Uh, Trish reaches up and she's like, uh, she kisses Beast. It's all good. Go on, do your thing. Not one crack or flip remark. Just try not to get yourself killed this time. You're not the Hank I knew, but you're a guy I'd like to know a whole lot better. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and so Gene and Cyclops are now getting uh, garbage cans attacking them and all sorts of other weird things. But it's, it's not long before Iceman and Beast show up. and They got there fast. Yeah, the team is all back together. So, so they use teamwork to attack. Yeah, they just start shooting demons. And then Angel shows up. And then they're, they, we get several panels of each of them using their power. Let's cut them, freeze them, blow them apart, whatever it takes. <laughs> this is... It's it's kind of funny, right? Because Angel's back, and they're like, yeah, war and angel death. And then Cyclops is like, all right, people, here's the break we've been waiting for. And in those right. five panels, he's like, do whatever you can do. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he should literally be like, uh, 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 maneuver 10, and then like they should all do something cool. <laughs> you know, to harken back to the old days. But no, this is... Just do something. And they do. It only takes like five panels and they've, I don't know, I guess they've cleaned up this block. Yeah, it's a montage. Yeah. And uh, uh, Gene hugs Angel. Angel's back. Angel looks happy. And he's like, Cameron Hodge killed Candy Southern. I killed Hodge. And the demons were Hodge's allies. So we found you. You've come home. I'm tainted. Dangerous. I've lost myself. (laughs) I like I like the fact that the line that you did. Uh, All right, people, here's the break we've been waiting for. I don't I don't know why I like that line. <laughs> it's just it's just so stupid. It's always the break we've been waiting for. Well, because I mean, in, in this is this is the the turning point in the movie, right? Where like everybody's just down, and finally the guy that quit the band or quit the team or whatever in the first act, he's back. And yes, turn it, it all around. I, I think that's definitely what they were going for, whether or not they succeed. Oh, I would say no. Oh, but, no, not you know. at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in order for this line to succeed, like the whole issue has to be like them working together and just not firing in all cylinders, like mischoreographing. And then finally, in this third act, uh, Angel shows up and everything just falls into place. But that's, I mean, no, that's not what happens, really. I kind of want Scott afterwards to slap Angel on the back and say, hey, thanks, buddy. You were the break we were waiting for. (laughs) I called it. Didn't you hear me? (laughs) 
Scott was saying all day we were looking for a break. <laughs> we never knew it'd be you. Anyways, I, uh, knew I was thinking we needed a break. Uh, Gene says the the static's gone. I found little Christopher Scott. The demons have landed. They're scanning the city. Can't find out. Can't find no who who they're looking for. They say if they can't sacrifice him, uh, they will eat him now, which I don't think is happening. The point is, she knows where Christopher is, and they take off running towards him. Come on, he's scared, Scott. I'll say, uh, we'll all save him all. Wait, what? Tell him his daddy knows where he is now, that he loves him, that we're coming to save him, or that he's coming to save him. And she says, I'll say we're all save him. All of us together. I'll say we'll all save him. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Not just you. Us all, who he's never met. I don't know why I'm announcing this to everybody. I could just tell him. Meanwhile, Beast, Iceman, and Angel are like, wait, what's, what, what are we doing? What's happening? Who's Christopher? <laughs> Who are we going after? Who does Scott love now? Isn't this <laughs> what got us in all this trouble in the first place? Uh, next issue, Nastir, Goblin Queen, Mr. Sinister, X-Factor. And the question is, who will get the baby? Yeah. But <laughs> we'll read the Uncanny X-Men to find out what's going on uh, before we get back to this story. Yep, it's true. So there you go. Because that's the thing about Inferno is that all these things are happening at the same time. It's 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 so well choreographed. <laughs> it it kind of is. It's actually not if you, bad if if you know what order to read it in. There are many uh, Inferno reading orders out there on the internets. Yes, and we're not technically doing any of them. <laughs> oh, we're not. Well, there, yeah, there's a lot of tie-ins that probably don't matter. We're uh, we're we're sort of following the what the book does, the X Men Inferno, although occasionally we swap issues. Yeah. So uh, we got some fan email. Ooh, I haven't read this one yet, Adam. It sounds like oh boy. a good one. He's talking about me. This is from <laughs> <laughs> John Aaron. He, he wants to weigh in on the debate about what Rogue was subjected to by the Genosha guards in Uncanny X-Men number 230, excuse me, 236. Uh, I think that is to what Chris or what Claremont intended. Jeremy's darker interpretation is probably correct. I base the statements that when Rogue was being processed, some of the officers took liberties and what they thought was fun. She had evidently thought was something else. Taking liberties, the old fashioned euphemism for unwanted groping and other dark things. Um, but as you noted in the episode, that does make it weird that the guards are shown to have been a man or woman. Maybe that is just a result of Chris Claremont and the artist not being on the same page. Uh, so John Aaron is saying I'm right and you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I, and I still don't, I I still don't agree. Well, Um, but, but but... you do know that John Aaron is the authority on that (laughs) issue, right? See, I have an issue with taking liberties is an old fashioned euphemism for unwanted groping. <laughs> Cause like unwanted groping can be what they mean by taking liberties. It's true, but it does not mean unwanted groping. Like you could like unwanting flirtation could also be taking liberties. Uh... And that's, that's not groping. Or did you see the movie Bohemian Rhapsody? I did that film. The, the filmmakers, let's say take liberties with, Queen's history in order to tell the story that they want to tell. 
but that doesn't involve groping. That's a good point. Uh, but, but Adam, I would, I would submit that while they did take liberties, uh, for the sake sake of interesting storytelling, I bet you they cleared it all through Queen. Oh, for sure. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm thinking that the unwanted uh, or the taking liberties or the unwanted uh, advances were not cleared with Rogue before happening. Well, of course not. So, but I don't think it's a fair I'm, comparison. I'm, my no. My point is that taking liberties is not an old-fashioned euphemism for unwanted groping. It means many things, and in the case of that issue. It could mean that they were taking liberties of their position as guards to do things that were outside of the realm of what they were allowed to do. Such which, as groping poor women who don't have groping, their power of absorption. Groping is an example of said thing. Also, <laughs> also punching somebody or roughhousing somebody is an example of that. This is the argument that we, we will have until we die. Probably, yeah. <laughs> uh, has a couple of questions about Genosha. Is it just... Is it just a remarkable coincidence that the first three letters uh, are the same as Gene, or is the country originally called something else, and it changed its name after enslaving and genetically engineering mutants? Interesting thought. I I definitely think from a writing perspective, uh, the fact that Genosha starts with G-E-N-E is not a coincidence. I'm sure that was totally on purpose. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I would hope so. Uh, let's see. Originally in the 60s and 70s, superhuman mutants were depicted as being extremely rare. It was a big deal when Cerebro detected one. That's a good point. And when Professor X needed to form his new team in giant size number one, they had to go all sorts of places like Russia, Africa to find them. Then Claremont introduced the Morlocks, establishing that there are at least hundreds of mutants living in NYC. Uh, perhaps most of the Morlocks had useless powers, like the ability to make their hair change colors, levitate, or very light objects. Uh, but during the Brood storyline, Harry... Palmer, yep, Snicker, created a team of around 10 brood mutants in Denver. Uh, what? So what he's getting at here is like, what up? Like X-Men number <laughs> one in the chronology of the X-Men is probably fifth, 10 years ago. How, how old do you think? So let's just assume Scott Summers is 18 years old in X-Men number one. How okay, old well, do you think he is in uh, X-Factor number 36 here? Time in the Marvel Universe uh, is well known to be a very <laughs> abstract and and fluid thing, but I think I think that I mean I mean the the I've heard this complaint before that at some point there is an exponential growth of mutants, and yes, obviously there is. Yeah. So but, I mean, but I, I I think I think the obvious reason for that is they want to tell stories that require more mutants. Yeah, but Adam, if it, if it doesn't if the story doesn't fit. Like it needs to be called out for the improbability well, what, of it. When does it not fit? X Men number one. There couldn't have been all these mutants ro running around. Well, no, otherwise weren't. Cerebro would have exploded. Well, right. They 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 came later. That doesn't make any sense, Adam. Some <laughs> sure, sure it does. Time. Some it's of, time. No things happen no. over time. Some of those mutants in the Morlock tunnels. None of those. Like there are mutants in the Mor. There's Anna Lee. She's like. Four times older than Cyclops. She's like um, Professor Xavier's age. Well, if you're gonna if you're going to argue the logic of a superhero comic book, then I, I can't help you, man. Adam, that's all we do here. <laughs> um, I, the the point is like they're they're just doing where they want the stories to go. As far as as does it make logical sense? No, it, it probably it probably usually doesn't, especially if you get. Like down to a minute detail. 
Are you calling John Aaron's details minute? He did a lot of research to come up with these numbers, and here you are putting him down. John? No, no. I, I'm not putting any of his details down. I'm, I'm, I'm saying the stuff that you are talking about is minute with issue one, whatever. I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, point being, John, you're not incorrect, but Adam is also not incorrect. For the sake of storytelling, these things got to happen. Yeah, he he does say in in which case if there's if there's a thousand mutants in the USA alone and tens of thousands worldwide, what's so special about the X Men? I mean, they uh, ha- they have better powers. They have they have a comic book about them, I guess. <laughs> that's that's like saying like, uh, you know, I really like Die Hard, but he's just another cop. So what's so special about John McClane? It's a good question. Um. I always liked the Genosha storyline, but of course, the first time I read it, it was like, well, this doesn't make sense. Like, somebody, like, they didn't just come out of nowhere. Somebody would have had to have detected them at some point with all the mutant activities going on. But obviously, storytelling. Yeah, and I think nowadays they would probably build a backstory of like, there was a yeah. telekinetic screen up do, that prevented do. everybody's ability to perceive them. Or, or build it up over several years, like, right. you know, leading up to a plot, like the, the stuff that they do, like with the, remember the secret invasion with the scrolls? Yeah, no. Uh, well, that'll, that'll happen eventually. But uh, that was something that was planted in comics for like years before the event actually happened. Well, that's kind of neat. See? But, you know, that's, uh, yeah, that's the evolution of storytelling. And I think it also... Uh, uh, Inferno is an example of that. Most of the uh, com- <clears throat> excuse me, the comic book story tie-ins that we've had have been um, not well executed. Or in the case of like Fall of the Mutants, like every mutant comic kind of had its own story, and they didn't really tie in just references to one another. Mutant Massacre, they tried to do some sort of a complex puzzle, which kind of worked, but. Uh, this is the next evolution of that, and it's just, it's just they, they're learning their craft, and so Genosha just shows up one day, and you just got to accept it. Yeah, Mutant Massacre was more of not a very strong story, but they were still kind of, it, it was a very basic story to run across a whole bunch of different issues. Yeah. And then, obviously, Genosha is just an X-Men until we get to Extinction Agenda later, which, as I recall, was pretty good, but... We're not there yet. So. Nope. Nope. Can't look ahead, guys. Brian Cornish, he uh, loves the show and says he's okay. First, he has to thank us for putting us in the story. He was rolling on the floor with an hysterical laughter. This was by far the greatest episode both of you have done. And I think this speaks volumes to our Patreon contribution level. Obviously, any story that has you featured as a character is going to be the best episode for you. So you too could also probably. <laughs> well, this means we're not very good. Oh. <laughs> uh, so if you want that special feeling that Brian Cornish has, you should totally do the thing, and then you'll be in the comic. And, and the thing yeah. is, donate five dollars <laughs> via our Patreon. Yes, I was waiting for you to jump in with those details that I have right in front of me. <laughs> uh, says, by the way, I had to. I. I I had to go to the hospital after Wolverine punched me in the gut where they had to remove my appendix. 
I was going to tell him I was on his side and was there to help him. In true Wolverine action, fa- true Wolverine fashion, he always acts before he thinks. Anyway, I hope to make it back to help them in future endeavors soon. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, yeah, you can uh, you, you drop us a note. Get get involved. Uh, go out to. <laughs> it, it only costs some money. <laughs> it only costs some money. So, yeah, drop us a line. Email's free, as we mentioned, uh, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. You can follow us at dangerroomgo. Visit us, facebook.com forward slash dangerroompodcast. Uh, also hit our website, www.xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or wherever podcasts are subscribed to. We're, we're available on all those. 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636 if you would like to leave a voice message. Or you can go to the aforementioned www.patreon.com forward slash danger room uh, and, and send, uh, you know, be a patron. And, and maybe you too could become a background character of the X-Men. Our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld, And we've got a few other books here to talk about. We sure do. You want to let's stay in Inferno and we'll talk about Avengers 299. Yep. Um, it takes place pretty much in the same place that we are with the other issues. Uh, can, you, can you like Cliff's notes me the deal with Captain here? Oh, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Captain America was asked to resign uh, because he wasn't he was he refused to be an agent of the government. And he, he wanted to be a free agent. And um, so so he did. And there's a new Captain America. So he, uh, he couldn't figure out what to do with himself for a while, Steve Rogers. And he decided to become a, another superhero called the Captain. So Captain America is like an official government position? It is now, yes. Oh, weird. As there's- of the time of this this thing. Uh, uh, of of comics right now, yes, there is a there is a Captain America position. Uh, I forget who John John Walker, I believe, is Captain America right now. That's. Uh, do you think that position pays hazard pay? I would hope so. <laughs> All right, it's hard to imagine. Like he, he's got a pension and like really good medical benefits, and it's it's not a very good job though because like uh, recently, like his parents were killed. Because information got leaked that he was Captain America, so oh, poor guy. It's terrible. But yeah. well, there, there's demons and they're invading uh, Manhattan, just as they are in all of the other comics. Uh, Reed and Sue are are going to bed. They're unaware. Which is weird because, like, reading this the first time, I didn't know this was Reed and Sue. No, I didn't either. I'm like, who are these random people? Because uh, Reed does not have in this in these pages, he doesn't have his signature white stripe across uh, his head uh, in his Nor hair. Is there any any stretchiness to give us some hints? Nope. And it's not like good night, Sue. Good night, Reed. And and Reed's kind of a kind of a jerk here. He's like, uh, bed bugs bite. Ha! My son would be more than a match for any bed bug. And Sue, who we don't know who is Sue at this point, is like, your son? Weren't we both partners in this uh, particular transaction? Fathers get sons, wives get the daughters. Which, that does not seem like a Reed Richards thing to say. No, not really. Oh, so I think we should discuss this further. No problem, I'll just turn off the light. (laughs) I.e., I'm a stereotypical man, don't want to hear it, gonna go to bed. Or 
Or do you think that's like we're gonna make some more babies? Oh, oh, maybe. Because I'm I'm totally turning you on with my dismissive talk right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a little pillow talk. It's not good. <laughs> and so I too was like, who are these people? Until midway through the book, when somebody's like, read, and I was like, oh, weird. Okay, could have been solved very easily if she just said good night, Franklin. Right, exactly. Because they do put a, a kid to bed. Uh, and then they do the, is, is Franklin known to be called Sugar Bear? Not as far as I know. Okay. Cause, cause he's, she's like, good night, sugar. And he's like, sugar bear. And she's like, good night, sugar bear. <laughs> and he says, sugar bear, Sonny-o. <laughs> and yeah. And he's got a baseball mitt above his head. I don't Does Franklin play baseball? Like, I don't That's know. Not as far as I know. <laughs> Anyhow. So. Uh, Captain, who is in his black uniform, he's fighting all the demons, and he he was able to subdue a motorcycle and turn it back into a normal motorcycle, and he makes a Transformers reference, uh, and he fly or drives into Manhattan, and the New Mutants are there fighting demons. Yeah, and they chit chat a little bit, and uh, Sam thinks, oh, I think I think that guy has more than just a connection to Captain America. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. The captain finds that they these kids seem to have themselves under control. They they bat they bat a few demons down, and the whole so he, problem I have with the captain here is like apparently he's trying to maintain that he has no relation to Captain America, yet his costume looks exactly like Captain America's, except it's black. <laughs> yeah, and he has Captain well, America's shield. I. Uh, yeah, he. There's a reason that he has it. He he actually had his own shield for a while, but he just acquired back Captain America's shield um, from John Walker. So, yeah. Anyways, yep. He he does. That, igno- that's in continuity. Oh, nice. He does acknowledge that the kids have this well in hand. So he, yeah, he takes off. He peels off, and that's it for the new mutants. But we yeah. don't care about the new mutants. We don't even care about Franklin at this point. Anyways. What we really care care about is Nanny Maker and Orphan Maker. And Nanny Maker? Oh, <laughs> Nanny and Orphan Maker. Did I say Nanny Maker? You did. Oh, well, Nanny <laughs> Maker and Orphan. for a second. <laughs> uh, and this is when, finally, uh, page 10 of 23, a kid comes to uh, the bed and uh, the woman says, what's the matter, Franklin? And I, I may still not have connected it there. <laughs> I don't know. At this point, I was like, oh, wait, this is the Fantastic Four. Okay. It also says, meanwhile, in Connecticut. And I guess I never knew that they lived in Connecticut. Continuity-wise, right now, the Fantastic Four is the Thing, the Human Torch, and um, She-Thing, or Lady-Thing, or whatever. Sharon. Yeah. uh, Who is Miss Marvel, actually, now that I think about it. But but, But not Carol Danvers. Not Carol Danvers. The third Miss Marvel. Gotcha. Or maybe maybe the second Miss Marvel. I gotcha. don't know. Um, and I forget who the fourth member is. It keeps rotating, so that's why I don't know. She-Hulk? Torch? It's not She-Hulk. It's not uh, Crystal. She was previously the member. I, I don't remember who it is right now. Okay. Well, anyways, Nanny shows up over this house in Connecticut and wakes up uh, Orphan Maker and says, it's time for you to go uh, and get the baby. This one's a strong signal. It's going to be wonderful. So this this part also kind of confused me. Uh, Orphan Maker crawls into the window, throws pixie dust onto the entire family, 
picks up Franklin. Uh, Franklin wakes up, turns into like his ghost or his ethereal self or astral projection or whatever, freaks Orphan Maker out. Orphan Maker is like, oh, I got to make you an orphan. And he shoots Reed in the head. But there's a bubble but, that forms over them. Right. There's an invisible bubble around them. So why wouldn't that invisible bubble have protected them from the pixie dust and from Orphan Maker picking up Franklin? Because I think it, it it's a response to him shouting, Mommy, wake up. Boogeyman's here. No, oh, that could be. Ah. She, she, she instinctively, because she's asleep, puts up an invisible shield. Okay. I buy it. So he, uh, Orphan Maker takes off with uh, Franklin, crawls up under the house, and that's when Captain shows up, because uh, if Reed Richards can't help, nobody can. Yeah, he left the New Mutants back in New York to go get help, and I don't, I don't know why he's going to Connecticut. It seems like quite a drive, So but, okay. So this is where I had to like flip back to the beginning and be like, oh, those people that we saw in the first part of the comic, <laughs> that's Reed and Sue. I'm like, all right, this makes a little bit more sense. So Captain is trying to get Reed's attention, but they're asleep because of the pixie dust, and he ends up breaking into a window, which happens to be open. Yeah, if you don't know that it's Reed and Sue, and you see the, you you, you might not even see the uh, invisible bubble, and it just looks like he shoots Reed in the head. Exactly, and at first I thought that, until I was like, how can he still be alive? Because he's like, oh, oh Captain, what's the matter? Sue, wake up. I'm like, wait, he was shot in the head. It it took me a few glances to be like, oh, there's a like a there's a shield around them. But I, I didn't even connect that it was Sue Storm's uh shield. I thought it was just like some Reed Richards gizmo that protected them at all times. I am I am right there with you. I did not see the shield at first. I thought he shot Reed in the head, but because <laughs> Reed Reed is elastic, that's why he survived. Yeah, but, I would, if that would have been the explanation, I would have been okay with that, but that was not. It's the shield yeah. thing, which I'm okay with too, but it's not very clear as to what's happening. But the captain sneaks into the upstairs window and sees them sleeping and shouts, Reed, Sue, they're asleep, but under an energy shield. I don't know if I can... And then it dissolves. Yes. Explaining everything. <laughs> Except why it dissolves when there's potentially danger hovering above them. I guess because they're waking up now. Sure. I don't know. And and the captain is a safe presence. Sure. Uh, Sue's like, Franklin's missing. Oh, my God. So they get up and they're searching around the house and uh, they can't they can't find him. So Reed goes to the security tapes and sees Orphan Maker kidnapping Franklin about an hour ago. But he's able to track the spaceship's uh, energy signal. So they jump into the fantastic car and take off after him. And that conveniently is where the captain wanted them to go as well. Manhattan. Yeah. And we get a side story of a guy, a character that I'm not familiar with that will show up at the end of the comic. I don't care about this man. Yeah, I don't know who he is. <laughs> and so Orphan or Nanny makes a reference to the orphanage that we found in X-Factor number 36. Uh, and he's he's pretty proud of this strong kid that he he has. But he realizes. Wait, didn't we decide that Nanny was a she? Oh, yes. Did I say he? I, I, you may have been talking about Franklin. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah. Na uh, oh, Nanny is a she. Somebody called her a she in an issue. Franklin's a him. But anyways, right. uh, Nanny realizes, well, starts asking Franklin questions like, what's your name? Franklin? Franklin who? Franklin Richards? And he's like, or she's like, oh, no, 
And your mommy and daddy's name? Susan and Reed. Peter, come here at once. <laughs> yes, Nanny. Tell me, truly, is this child an orphan? Oh, yes, Nanny. Bad, bad boy. Nanny has told you never to lie. I couldn't kill them, Nanny. They were inside a clear little house. Hold out your hand. And, and then she grabs a, like an electric uh, ruler or something and just starts wailing on poor orphan maker's wrist. I'm sorry, Nanny. I'm sorry. This child is son of Reed and Sue Richards. That could mean real trouble. We shall have to prepare at once. Oh, never mind. I have an idea. I'm going to go to the forge. <laughs> and so he, uh, Nanny takes off into a door. Reed's tracking the ship uh, to, I don't know, let's call it Central Park. He uses a simple energy drain to force them to land. And uh, immediately Peter, or uh, Orphan Maker, comes out and the captain begins to battle him. Yeah. The only thing interesting here is that Captain is able to find his weak spot, which is just below his chin. He knocks over Orphan Maker, who's on the ground and is like, I'm hurt. I want Nanny. Nanny, where? Captain's like, what in the world? It sounds like a small child, but how can that be? And this is where I was like, okay, makes sense, right? Like maybe there is a small child in here, this Peter, this orphan maker. Because to be mm -hmm. honest, I I don't know as much as many comic books as I've read. I don't know the the deal with Nanny and Orphan Maker. Well, I think that plus the next couple of panels where well, another robot comes out makes it pretty clear that yeah, there is a there is a little boy inside of Orphan Maker. So a giant red robot uh, leaves the ship and hits um, Captain in the back of the head. Now Reed and Sue fight this giant red robot. They see they up until a point they're they're starting to win until uh, it speaks at some point, and this is after the other guy shows up, who I I guess he'll get a name at some point. Well, they've incapacitated the red robot, and that's where this weird dude shows up, and he's like, oh, you can't kill these people. I need to talk to him. And Nanny comes out and is like, get up, young man. Your homework isn't complete. I want those people dead. And that's when the robot speaks. But I'm not sure I want to, Nanny. And Sue's like, oh, it's Franklin. Franklin's in there. My son, says Reed again. <laughs> and then they start the whole argument all over again. What do you mean, your son? Well, you know, men have sons and women have daughters. <laughs> so you want to go fool around in the bushes? <laughs> and Nanny's like, oh, good, they've guessed. Now you will be able to take them easily. What pirates could harm their own child? He's not my son, Egg with a voice, says random guy. <laughs> but if he tries to slay his own parents he is a monster and slaying monsters is why i'm here i don't have a name though <laughs> reed what are we gonna do offhand susan i'd say we're in for the trickiest fight of our lives says the captain and i think that's supposed to be a reed balloon but okay yeah maybe probably and uh nanny says ring around the rosy pocket full of posies hush 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 y'all fall down kill them kill them all <laughs> And you too, whoever you are, egg indeed. <laughs> uh, weird issue. So yeah, it's a little uh, makes sense. Little boy inside of uh, inside of what's his face? Yeah, orphan maker. Orphan maker. Yeah. Neat. Excalibur number four. 
has a funny cover of a man sweeping up who's like, oh, you want to see superhero stuff, eh? Oh, you'll have to look inside for that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very large bubble filled with a very descriptive version of what is on covers sometimes. Yep. It's classic and funny. So a lot of interesting things happening in this uh, issue. Uh, Courtney, what's her last name? Ross? Courtney Ross. Yeah. So apparently she gets kidnapped. She was she used to date uh, Captain Britain, but now they've moved on and she's the head of this bank. And uh, she gets captured by this gang called the Crazies, who are like a deranged version of Alice in Wonderland villains. Well, she manages to escape from the crazy gang. Well, I mean, let's using... be honest. She, she puts up a really good fight against these people. Yeah. She's impressive. Uh, but ultimately, she jumps into a police car and she's like, call Captain Britain. I'm afraid your normal officers and weapons will be no match for the crazy gang. I don't know why Courtney Ross sounds like that, but she does. <laughs> and it's Arcade. And he says, I know all about them crazies, Missy. They work for me. I decided when the X-Men are taken over by Marvel and I want them to do an arcade movie and I want them to have Matthew McConaughey play arcade. Oh, yeah. You're speaking my language. That'd be fun, right? Yeah. I don't know that they could carry off a whole movie that way. They could do a whole murder world thing. It'd be be interesting. I feel like that would be more fodder for a TV show. But but yeah, sure. Matthew McConaughey as arcade in the second X-Men movie. Sure. Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Courtney Ross has been kidnapped by Arcade and uh, Miss Locke. Um, I don't know. Uh, Kitty, Kitty, Kitty and Rachel are out shopping uh, for regular clothes so that they can fit in with people. And Rachel makes Kitty wear clothes that are more of her style. So they're a little more punky. And then they go to pay for the clothing with their uh money that they got out from an ATM, um, I guess because Brian set them up with accounts, and uh, all their money is fake money, and yet somehow they still get away with the clothes. Yeah, and it's got uh, Alice in Wonderland-themed imagery on it. Uh, and another another question. If Phoenix can just change Kitty's clothes to a totally different outfit with the wave of her hand, why are they shopping? It's a good question. I have no idea. Hmm. The next three pages here are a uh, scantily clad Megan and uh, a swashbuckling Nightcrawler uh, exercising and swinging around. Uh, There's some flirtation going on here. A lot of flirtation. It ultimately ends up with Nightcrawler tickling Megan and both of them falling to the ground with Megan on top of Nightcrawler and them getting closer and closer and she kind of changes to her... uh, her physique to look a little bit more like Nightcrawlers. And just as they're about to kiss, they hear Brian's voice and she's like, Oh yeah, what's wrong with me? Is anybody taking liberties with anybody here? No, no, definitely not. These two are, I think they both, they both feel like they have at the end of it. Um, taking liberties. No, I think they both are like, Oh geez, what were we about to do? Well, right, because Nightcrawler is like hitting himself over the head, being, Megan is Captain Britain's lady. You should know better than to take liberties. <laughs> he does not say that. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
so they yeah they get up there and uh they have a note well first of all they they show off their new threads but they have a note that courtney ross has been kidnapped by arcade and uh captain britain's like i'm going after him but phoenix grabs him and says no you're not that's that's dumb we need a plan don't be stupid they're still working together to get uh captain captain britain is still acting like a solo person even though they're a team and the rest of the team is acknowledging it and getting kind of annoyed with it uh and then they're like how did they know our address courtney knows i told her arcade must have forced it out of her megan's like was that all he told her they used to be lovers was talking all they did together no megan (laughs) definitely not (laughs) the things that you do with him the things that you've done for the first time with them they did a lot well yeah maybe she means like when when he gave her the address, was that all they did? Oh. Or did they also make out? I, oh, well. I'm, I'm assuming that when they used to be lovers, she knows that they did a lot of stuff together. <laughs> I would hope she so. She says they used to be lovers. I mean, that's what being a lover is. Oh, I guess. Maybe they're referring to the conversation they had in last issue or something. I, I think so. Or recently. But, okay. But yeah, she is, she is being very um, self uh, no, not uh, uh, lacking confidence Naive. in her relationship in her relationship with uh, Brian. And she feels like Brian's still might be in love with Courtney Ross. And she might be overcompensating for the fact that she almost just cheated on him. That's probably true. So I think the pendulum has swung the other way. And now she's like, oh, my God, Captain Britain. Ah. So as they review all the money, there's all these clues that lead up to this abandoned factory, which used to be thriving uh, until recently when the company went bankrupt because the Genotians can do whatever it is they did cheaper. Reference. So if I'm reading this, I'm like, what? (laughs) If you're not reading the X-Men. Right. If I'm not reading the X-Men, if I'm only reading Excalibur and I see this, I'm like, the Genotians, huh? I wonder if they're going to be like a villain upcoming or something. I. It's just kind of weird. I mean, I get it because it's inside of the Claremont yeah. universe sort of thing. Claremont verse. But it's it's if you're not reading his other books, it's kind of weird. I feel like if you're not reading the X-Men, you're probably also not reading Excalibur. That could be. I would say Although that I, I am. I, I you know, I bet there are a handful of people oh, that are only reading Excalibur just because they like the artwork. Definitely. There are some fans uh, of Alan Davis. Um, yeah. But I would say, by and large, the, the, the lion's share of the audience is Uncanny X-Men readers. All that being said, uh, Courtney Ross is in Murder World, and we get a preview of what's to happen. There's a, there's a guy standing on stage. He tells some really awful jokes, and a giant mechanical foot squishes him. And Arcade's like, yep, get out there and be funny. And Courtney Ross, she's, she kills him. She knocks him dead. Turns out she's hilarious. Yeah. And this is an odd transition for me. I've, as a comic book reader, I always wondered, like, when did this transition happen? <clears throat> and it's where Moira McTaggart and uh, Callisto are on a train going somewhere. Uh, and the, the dialogue here is that, Alone in first-class carriage, Dr. Moira McTaggart, one of the world's foremost authorities on human mutant genetics, and her self-appointed bodyguard, the mutant huntress warrior Callisto. Like, when did that happen? Uh, good question. Well, she, she, I guess she had been there. I mean, we knew she was there recovering. Right, but so she maybe, was... Maybe, maybe just for this job. Yeah, she... But, but she was all in her, like, punk getup. Her hair was, like, all cruddy, and she was like a Morlock. Here she's like... 
like a hot bodyguard and like she's got spiky hair looks like she's got some makeup on some lipstick she's got like a leather cloak on she's got crazy boots she has recovered and it does say that she's self-appointed so maybe this is like a brand new thing it it, is. it, 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 it could even be like hey callisto i'm going to uh london to see excalibur do you want to go uh sure i'll be your bodyguard yeah but it's just it, I, a little buildup of like you know i'm tired of being a morlock moira can i hang out with you as your bodyguard sure <laughs> put put these clothes on <laughs> it's an interlude it doesn't matter i know I mean, her, her her clothes are, are punky enough that they match callisto i think this is just like alan davis's version of callisto yeah uh but it's just it's just last time we saw callisto she was all raggedy morlock and here she is like super punk badass uh She's which is fine shopping. but yeah her tiny waist it's it's super tiny anyways uh moira took some medi scans of excalibur when the team was constituted there are anomalies about one file i want to clear up careful and careful answer uh where phoenix is concerned i don't know what that means I, I don't really get it either. Maybe maybe it's a well. Basically, they're saying that you want to you want to be careful whenever we're dealing with 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 Phoenix. Um, where, where Phoenix is concerned, dot 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 dot. I don't. I don't dare be don't anything, dare else. anything else. Silver Shark's got light. I don't know how that careful answer fits in. It's I I don't I don't get it either. It's but, weird dialogue. But either way, that toad creature that was made a few issues ago uh created a portal and sucked up that entire train yeah no friends no state gone away oh golly gosh oh wow which is what the little kid said in issue two i think yep meanwhile at uh back at uh arcades murder world uh courtney ross just continues killing it she's telling jokes she's being a little flirtatious and the she's crowd even is making a miss lock laugh yeah which are too much to arcade chagrin uh excalibur My- shows up to this little factory the crazy gang's waiting uh and the, there's a fight that ensues uh, but it's an interesting fight where, like, the Tweedledum character and Captain Britain exchange personalities. Uh, yeah, there's some sort of device that the Crazy Gang has that allows them to switch bodies with different uh, Excalibur mem- members. So the the monkey ape guy ends up inside of Captain Britain's body, and Captain Britain is now in the monkey ape guy, and he can he can barely speak that's too because up. of that two other crazies one looks like a clown one's got like this metal suit they exchange bodies with nightcrawler and megan uh nightcrawler character's like "Ooh, this is amazing and look at you megan's like oh, i'm squishy and gross because the 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 guy from the crazy gang that just switched with him has a metal body and doesn't like this new fleshy body phoenix shows up she's about to do something but then she uh here's her baby brother scott and madeline's son nathan needs me he's calling for my help which momentarily distracts her that references back to x factor 35 which we already covered where christopher sends out a psychic distress signal i guess Mm mm-hmm and I guess we'll be in X-Men number 241. Also says note of note, uh, Nathan needs me. So once again, it's mm-hmm. Nathan. <laughs> uh, and this, I get kind of lost as to what happens here, but she 
as a uh, let's see a momentary a distraction is momentary as it proves momentous the other transitions were instantaneous oh so i guess she transitions to like a like a crypt keeper robot that explodes uh yeah I mean, we're, we're not really led to be sure what exactly happens i i guess we think that they swapped bodies and that it's possible that because her body was phoenix uh, the the robot exploded, and then I'm not entirely we... entirely sure because Arcade says like make yourself useful. Scan for her and the redhead too. No need to search for Phoenix Arcade, nor it seems any need to be concerned about her loyalties. We see as she comes out of the dust, puts on the cloak, and grabs the axe. So so the idea is that the robot is inside of Phoenix's body, and that the robot that exploded, Phoenix was inside of that. I guess. It could be a ruse, but I don't know. Well, even even Miss Locke says that. Unless, of course, she's faking. Yeah. Yep. And they're like, all right, well, I get tired of uh, Courtney Ross's jokes. So they open up a trap door and she, she goes down it. And on a giant screen, uh, the one person that has not been transferred is Kitty. And so Arcade taunts her a little bit. Don't think for an instant, Miss Shadow Kitty Cat, that I've forgotten about you, no siree bubbaloo. Before I'm through, I'll have you, Missy, and your little dragon, too. Yipperdoodle. And that's how Excalibur number four ends. Wolverine number three has a somewhat misleading cover. Although, not really, I guess. I guess. No, I take it back. This totally happens in the issue. It makes sense. I, I forgot that there was somebody that shoots Wolverine, and I was thinking nobody shoots Wolverine, but in fact, someone does shoot Wolverine. I mean, you could so I'm totally wrong. You could summarize this whole issue by this cover because this is a it, pretty much the only thing, in my opinion, that happens throughout the entire issue. There's a half naked girl who Wolverine's about to kill, and some other woman shoots Wolverine in the head. That's like what happens in the issue. The half naked girl is Jessica Drew, who mm-hmm. is under some sort of hypnosis. And the uh, girl with a shotgun is Lindsay McCabe. Uh, both of them are from the X-Men San Francisco issues. So to summarize this somewhat quickly, uh, Wolverine has picked up the Black Blade or the Muram- Muramusa Blade, and it has possessed him. It's a blade that uh, is looking for, according according to Silver Samurai, it is a blade that is looking for someone to share equal it's it's sort of like a sentient blade but it's looking for kind of a master that is able to wield it and also not be taking control but since it has taken control of wolverine it's really happy because wolverine's super strong and stuff Mm -hmm. so uh silver samurai and Lindsay mccabe run around and Lindsay mccabe wants to go after jessica drew because it's her best friend we see o'donnell who we may remember from Marvel Comics Presents, and we meet the chief of police of Madripoor, who is to become somewhat of a major character, at least in Madripoor. And he says, um, let's see, by the way, I'm told you ha- you you and the Princess Bar have taken on a, shall we say, silent partner. Care to elaborate? No? Perhaps some other time. And I'm not sure if that's referring to Patch or uh, somebody else. The, the lady from Marvel Comics Presents that I can't remember her name of. Because oh. I'm not good with names. Oh, uh, the Reaver girl? No. Yeah, yeah. Jess Ann Hone? 
Jessan Hoan or whatever. Tiger, Tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. The two of us together, we can remember anything. Yep, we got this. Uh, So they they chat around for a while, and then Lindsay McCabe, uh, uh, O'Donnell has a couple of prisoners from the last issue in his basement, and in order to figure out where Wolverine might be, um, Lindsay McCabe does this sort of acting job where she she grabs somebody and pretends to kill them by dragging her into the dark where the other two prisoners can't see and they she acts like a crazy person and they're like, oh my god. It's it's a it's a pretty clever scene that I'm not doing justice of. You should you should read it. I I read the comic. No, not you. <laughs> uh, you you dear reader. You got to read it to believe it. We're getting we're getting an idea of who Lindsay McCabe is. We've kind of up to this point, she just seems like she's sort of ditzy. But in this issue, we get more of her character and start to understand a little bit more about her. Uh, so they discover that Wolverine and uh, Jessica Drew are in a hideout, uh, old Highland temple. So they go out there. And they see a cult thing happening where Wolverine's dressed up in a armor suit and she's going to sacrifice Jessica Drew. And Silver Samurai says, take this shotgun and cover me. I'm gonna go in and you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take care of Patch before he kills your friend. I'm not sure why she's responsible that for that, because in the next like several panels, Silver Samurai doesn't do anything. Anyway, uh because Lindsay McCabe does not know that Wolverine has a healing factor or that Patch is Wolverine. It's a difficult choice to know if she can shoot Patch or not. But she does. True story. And uh, she feels pretty bad. And then Silver Samurai finally shows up and kills most of the cultists. And eventually they sword fight and Silver Samurai gets a hold of the sword uh, after defeating Logan um, Logan or Patch manages to not finally take control of the the sword having possessed him because he really doesn't want to be a slave and he doesn't want to be, kill anybody and it turns out that Silver Samurai's powers which we learn in this issue are mastery over any objects uh, in a sword like manner <laughs> like he says you could throw me a stick and I'd do just as well as I'm doing with this sword he was kind of meant to have the Muramusa blade, and the Muramusa blade does not possess him. Um, awesome. And then he reveals that the reason that it possessed Patch is because you should have remembered, Patch, that if a man already possesses a blade, especially one of honor, there is no room in his soul for another. Referring, of course, to the Mariko blade that Wolverine is the chosen one for. Remember oh. that? Uh, what? Yeah, totally. I remember that. I, I forget what, 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 what her Marika, the Yoshida blade. Uh, the, the, I don't remember. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> and that reveals that Silver Samurai knows that Patch is Logan because how could he not? Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Makes well, sense yeah. though. Yeah. And yeah. Lindsay McCabe says, what's that mean? And he says, "Never mind, girl, private business. There's a lot of history and blood between me and the samurai. Inside of myself, I find myself, in spite of that, I find myself wishing him well. Dun, dun, dun. And ah. this 
This is where Wolverine starts getting good for me. Okay. Issue four. Issue four is where it picks up. I sure hope so, because I was not impressed by that issue. This first three issues are not the greatest. Okay. Good to um, know. But I, I think issue four is where it really starts to, to pick up. Okay. And then and then by issue ten, it'll drop off again. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so finally, Marvel Comics presents number fifteen. Uh yeah, some crazy crap happens in this issue. This this one is really fast. Uh, Colossus fights the guys that he was fighting in the last issue, and um, the people in the farmhouse fight whoever's coming through the walls of the farmhouse and attempting to kill the mom, and it's uh, all that really happens. Yep. It, <clears throat> the, dad, the dad shoots where the head of the guy that's coming through the wall is which is like a is it a robot i don't even know what's happening here it never makes it through all we ever see are its hands but there's a robot inside the house well there's oh it's the, the cop there's nina yeah. who is the the one the lady who is supposedly the friend of the family although she has like a weird glitch where the family decides to tie her up because she was babbling about killing the family well, and then the dad ties up the mom because she won't. She's like, oh, we should go see a movie and have popcorn and forget all the silliness. Yeah, the mom is having one of her freak out moments and the dad is kind of freaking out as well, tying her up in bandages. Yeah. And then and then the son goes upstairs and starts staring at the tick tock of a clock. And I have no idea where this is going. Well, he's like, shut up, shut up. And he's throws the dishes and dishes pillows sheets beds i hate you shut up and then he's the ticking of the clock yeah means it's i don't know i don't know what it means what do you know what it means i have no idea what it means i don't know if it's a bomb or if it's he's transfixed by the ticking or it's driving him crazy i have no idea what's happening here okay then you're on the same page as me at first i thought it was just noise this kid's like freaking out about but you'd think that he would just smash this clock instead of like being sucked into it or sucked closer and closer to it anyways Hopefully we'll find out next issue or and it won't be one of those things where they just don't ever cut back to it. There's also a Marvel Girl story in this issue, which takes place at some point. Doesn't really matter when it takes place. At some point before Inferno, let's say, and after ship. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because she's on ship and uh, the Phoenix comes and visits her and takes on the form of Professor Xavier and Phoenix and... Lures her down to the... This story's bad. It lures her down to the Morlock Tunnels where she discovers essentially that the Phoenix is not the Phoenix. It is a Morlock who takes on the form of a Phoenix bird. Yeah, it's... It could have been better. Like, I think it's supposed to be like, oh, there's psychic emanations coming off of the corpse. I mean, I think that's what's happening, but I just feel like it could have been written a little bit clearer, a little bit better a little bit more i don't know i didn't think it was bad um it wasn't great i mean it's not memorable at all we find out that it's a child and the child's got a necklace around its neck and the child's name was lightning bug and gene's like i should have known but i don't know what that means one more night won't matter much to you lightning bug rest here tomorrow my friends and i will return to bury you and pay our last respects to the dead i thought this would have been a lot cooler if it was Annalee or some other Morlock we knew that had died and it could just be like a interesting callback. Um, but it's not. 
It's just some well, random warlock who who died in the mutant massacre. Who it, I mean, is, it is a callback. It is just not a callback to a specific character. Nah, I know. Just, there is a moment where she crafts her own phoenix in order to fight the phoenix. And she says, good heavens, I created that. A phoenix of my own? Could it be? Yeah. We're, spo- we're supposed to think, oh my God, she's still got the phoenix. But is of that, course, it, no one will ever reference this story again. No. As, I mean, is that really what we're supposed to think, Adam? I think so. Okay. Uh, yeah. I feel like it, uh, there was a potential there. It's a one shot. So they just needed to do some page filler, which is fine. But I feel like they could have done just a little bit more and it would have been just an interesting one shot. But it's okay. The art's decent. It's okay. It's wispy and dreamlike. I'll give it that. So there you go. That is uh, that is all we have for this go around. Oh, I was going to mention Courtney Ross is remember those issues of Marvel team up that we covered where the X-Men and Captain or no, Spider-Man and Captain uh, Britain face off with uh, uh, Arcade. Do you remember those? Yes. And I, I, Yes. I think it's a two-parter. In the first part, it's Spider-Man and Captain Britain. In the second part, it's the X-Men and Captain Britain. Yes. And Captain Courtney Ross is in that, and she is she is kidnapped by Arcade as well. And they kind of reference that a few times in Excalibur. Well, in the Excalibur issue, she's definitely like, oh, Arcade. Like, yeah. She, she knows who, who he is. There's no mystery there. So, yep. All right, Adam, you got anything else you want to add to this one? No, that was it. That was my... That was my ad. I finally had an ad to this one. Nice. That was it. <laughs> well, then. It only took, this is our 275th episode. It only took me 275 episodes to have something to add. Okay, then. Did you watch the new uh, X-Men Phoenix, Phoenix, whatever, Dark Phoenix? Did you watch the Dark Phoenix trailer? The new one, the full one? No. Oh, I was going to say we could talk about that for five minutes, but you didn't even watch it. Nope. I'm ahead of the curve on this one. I I watched Rise of the Last Skywalker. The trailer? Yeah. Yeah. There's not really a lot you can say about it. Nope. But, you I, know. I have no idea what Rise of Skywalker means. Rise of the Last Skywalkers? <laughs> rise of the Awakening Last Skywalker? Skywalker's Last Rise? <laughs> I, I don't know either. Um... My prediction, Adam? Of, wait, of what? Oh, of Skywalker's Last Stand. Okay. My prediction, uh, and this is a surprise to you, right? Is it's going to be the biggest, fullest, heaping helping of fan service you've ever seen. I think that... It's we're I think that we're being led to believe that, but I don't I think it's I think there's gonna be a massive swerve. Nope. But I guess we'll see. JJ's at the helm and he's driving this car right into a brick wall of creamy, delicious fan service. <laughs> well, it's gonna be case, like it's gonna be like, you remember this? Well, here it is, but bigger. Oh, of course, there's gonna be a lot of that. There's gonna like, be somehow magically there's going to be a scene of the original cast all together in their old age. I, I feel like Rise of Skywalker is make making a it's it's meant to make us believe that 
they're going to bring Luke Skywalker back to life. No, of course he's in the movie. He'll be a Force ghost, or he didn't yeah, die be- really. Like he'll be there in some fashion. Or, or the popular theory is that the Jedi's are gone, and now they're going to be called the Skywalkers. It's like a whole new thing. I don't really care. I just it's going to be so much fan service, which I'm I'm not opposed to, but. Uh, There's a good way to do fan service and a bad way to do fan service. So I'm not saying this is going to be. Uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, uh, but it's going to. Yeah, th- I don't. They they tried to do a new thing with Ryan Johnson, and the internet said no. We do not want your new thing. Stop it. And so I think JJ's back to be like, sorry guys, here's what you wanted. And uh, you know, let's move on. You know, start making other movies. Like we, like we, we put all these other plans on hold because we, we kind of, we made you angry. Internet, sorry. <laughs> uh, so okay, that, I, I, I think you're somewhat right, but it's uh, definitely we, too we, early to tell. But yeah, we'll, just, we'll, we'll see. Based on that little itty bitty trailer, that's that's my prediction. But uh, I am also cautiously optimistic. But I mean, it's a it's a it's a Star Wars movie. I'll enjoy it when it's on, and I'll either forget that it exists or I won't. Uh, you won't forget that it exists. I don't know. Sometimes I forget that episodes one, two, and three exist. No, you don't. I mean, not really, but kind of. <laughs> All right. Well, we 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 will have a well, we have a while to to go, but. We will. Oh, actually, we could do a speculation on that. I mean, once yeah, once there's like a full trailer, we could we could do that whole thing. Well, I guess we should probably do something in service of the last Fox. Well, I guess it won't be the last Fox X Men movie. I guess uh, New Mutants is supposed to be. Yeah, we can do we can do shows of both of those last movies. You know, they might end up being fifteen minutes long, but you know. I'll be I'll be curious how much we can do on the New Mutants movie, but uh, well, I'm def- still looking forward to that. But we'll definitely have to try to fit in a trailer speculations segment at the very least uh, in one of these upcoming episodes. Okay. So, all right, uh, great. And until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam, and the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.